Amen. All right. Hi. Hi, everybody. Great to meet you. Like Pastor Efren said, my name is Jeff, and Efren, you are going to make me stumble this entire service, bro, looking at those legs, front row. Come on. Jeez, this message is going downhill fast already. Look at Jeez, put temptation right in the front row. First Corinthians, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, but God will not let me be tempted beyond what I can bear. Everybody give it up for Pastor Efren in his shorts today. <laughs> Sucker. <laughs> All right, like Pastor E said, we are wrapping up week four of this series, Wordplay, and we're really examining uh, our words, why we say them, how we say them, how it affects others, how it affects our own self. And week four this morning, we are talking about how do we talk to God? How do we talk to God? And I think that this verse uh, out of James really sums up the entire series. And if you're not a Christian, if you don't really know anything about the Bible, uh, I think that you would actually really agree with this. Uh, it says this, with it, he's talking about our mouth or our tongue or our words. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. That essentially means that the words that come out of my mouth, your mouth, our mouths are powerful, and they have the potential to give tremendous life and also tremendous destruction. We already know this. We know this. You may have experienced this, and that is why it's worth taking a look at and I love that we've been in this series, and if you've missed the, the last three weeks or so, go back, jump on our uh, Church Center app, or jump on the website and catch up. But like I said, we're talking about talking to God and why that matters, but I need a little crowd participation before we start. Who here has ever had the opportunity, you can just raise your hand, but I'm not going to call on you, who here has ever had the opportunity to like talk to somebody famous? I'm raising my hand. Okay, great. Okay, who here has ever had, uh, this happens to me quite often, who here has, who here, not the famous person part, who here has ever talked to somebody where you were like mistaking them for somebody else the entire time? Yeah, or you didn't know who they were, but they knew who you were. This happens to me often. I'm sorry if it's this, you're the person that this has happened to, but like my wife and I will be out at dinner with somebody and somebody comes up, oh, Jeff, oh, so good to see you. Hi, how are you? It's so great. Oh, this is your wife. And I'm like, okay, like Heidi, ask for their name. I don't know who they are. I'm like trying to, hey, this is my wife. And she goes, hi, I'm Heidi. And then they don't reciprocate with answering their name. And five minutes goes by and, and my wife is just looking at me. She's like, he doesn't know who this is. And then that person leaves, and she's like, babe, you don't know who that was, right? I'm like, no, I didn't know who that was. So, okay, we've, we've done that. Who here, who here uh, has ever had to talk to somebody that they, like, genuinely don't like? Raise a hand. Okay, my hand is up, too. Yes, this is church. We can be perfect place for imperfect people, South Hills. We, you know, there's people that we don't like. Okay, who here, who here has had a conversation with a friend? Everybody should raise their hand if you have friends. If you don't raise your hand, you don't have any friends. You're in good company. Uh, who here has ever talked to their spouse? Yes, raise your hand. Okay, great. Uh, so here's the reality. We talk differently to different people, right? We inherently know this. We talk differently to different people. Why? Because we have a level or a different understanding 
of who this person may be, okay? So if I have a conversation with my spouse, my wife, Heidi, she knows me on deeper levels, and she knows what makes me mad, what makes me sad. She knows my story. She knows my past. So we talk at a certain level of intimacy or exchanging facts or thoughts. But if this is somebody like a famous person or somebody that I really don't know or somebody that I don't have a truly or full understanding of, I'm going to approach that conversation differently. Does this make sense so far, right? Okay, so a few years ago, I had the opportunity. I should have put the picture up on the screen to prove it. I had the opportunity to meet uh, one of my favorite actors, Jeff Goldblum. I think he's like, I think he's great. I think he's so great because he plays basically himself in every movie. You notice that? His character doesn't really change. He kind of talks the same. And so I was always wondering, like, does Mr. Jeff Goldblum, is that how he is in real life? Is he really kind of like, ah, yes, here we are, unpacking week, what is it, what is it, week four of this message. I'm like, does he really talk like that in real life? And here I am, like, one-on-one with a conversation, and he's talking to me, like, how he talks to him. But I don't know the intricacies, and I don't have a deep understanding of what he's like. I have a certain perception because of the movies I watch or the things that I see, but I approach that conversation different. Right? I want to make it count. I don't want to stumble over my own two feet. I don't want to be like too nervous. The point is, you guys, is that we have different levels of conversing and talking to different people based on our perception of them. Does that make sense so far? Are you tracking with me in that? Okay, so here's my key question for this morning. What's your perception of God? Because that matters. If we have different levels of talking and conversing to people based on our understanding of them, we have to then apply that to God. And you may have a different understanding of God than I do. And you may have a different perception of God than I do because you have a different story. Maybe you've gone through a certain hardship that has shaped your understanding of God. That's why this is so important, you guys. So here's my point. Your perception of God influences your communication with God. You can write that down if you're taking notes. And we know this because of what we just already unpacked. But uh, here's another thing that you can write down, so if you choose to. Communication builds relationship. You cannot have relationship or even a growing relationship without communication, right? It takes communication to build your relationship. I have to be able to tell my wife and my friends how I'm feeling and what I'm going through. And when they hear that, they're actually able to step in and have more of a togetherness with me. There's usually three levels of communications that they always talk about. Number one is facts, exchanging facts. So it is 11-12 right now. That's a fact. I'm telling you that fact. Number two on a deeper level is my thoughts. I think I should go get in and out or we should go get in and out or I think this person should be elected in office, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Those are my thoughts or my opinions. The third, and as you can tell as they go deeper, they go more intimate. The third is your feelings. Facts, thoughts, feelings. So I feel hurt when you say this to me. I feel sad when I experience X, Y, and Z. Is that making sense? That's why when you go to counseling, what do they want you to do? They want you to express I feel statements. 
I feel like that when you don't unload the dishwasher, I don't feel loved. Babe, are you watching online? <laughs> Take notes, sweetie. So this is why, this is why, this is why actually it's hard to get to the feel statements because the feel statements are actually more vulnerable than just your opinions and your thoughts and exchanging facts. But what does that do when we express feel and how things make us feel? It deepens our relationship. It deepens our intimacy because we know that we cannot build relationship without communication. On what level that communication is, that is up to you. But the deeper you go in your communication, the deeper that is going to grow that relationship. So here's a few words that tie it all together, right? We said communicate is also from the root word commune and community. It means to do or share together. So when I communicate, it's the same thing as community. I'm doing and sharing together. So Christians will take what's called communion, right? What is that? That is recognizing and stepping into what God has done for us by shedding his body and his blood for us. So I am partaking in communion. I'm stepping into together with what God has done for me. Here's another churchy word, a really old school word if you grew up Catholic, excommunicate. That sounds awful, doesn't it, right? So what does that mean? It means to cut out of community, to cut out of that togetherness. You're kicked out of the church. You're kicked out of community. We are excommunicating. We're excommunicating you. So communication has to do with building relationship, but trace it back. Our communication also is affected by our perception and our understanding of who we're communicating to. Are you following me? That's a very heady intro, <laughs> but it's going to matter for what we're going to unpack. So you can write this down. If we don't communicate, and if we don't start with our understanding of what we know God to be, we actually don't have an understanding of what God is like, and if we have the wrong perception of God, we may not fully understand how we can talk to God. If you don't have an understanding of God, you may not understand how you can talk to God. So where do we need to start this morning? With our understanding of God. Glad you said so. Great. <laughs> so we're going to jump into some content this morning, uh, and I like to get my content from the Bible. I don't know about you, uh, but that's a good place to start. So if you have a Bible with you or if you have a Bible on your app, we're going to be in Exodus. That's in the Old Testament. This is uh, right after, last time I was here, I actually unpacked a little bit of the Exodus story uh, of Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt. So here's where we are in the story. Bless you. Uh, Moses has led the Israelites out of Egypt. Moses has gone up to Mount Sinai, and he's going to go talk to God, and God is going to give, them, give Moses the Ten Commandments. Well, what has happened is, as Moses was gone, God's people fashioned a golden calf. Not good. And this is what God says to Moses. And here we are in the story. Exodus 34 uh, where am I going to start? Uh, uh, Exodus chapter 34, starting in verse 6. The Lord, the Lord God. Underline Lord, underline Lord again. I'm going to come back to why does he say his name twice? The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Verse 7, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives inequity, 
transgression and sin. And this part's kind of cringe. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the inequity of fathers on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. I'll get to the cringe part in just a second. But what you need to know, that word Lord and Lord God, it translates, well, there's debate on how it translates and how you pronounce it, but it's Yahweh, or if you're trying to pronounce it in Hebrew, you have to make that H like a, so it's Yahweh. But that word, Yahweh, whenever you see L-O-R-D, L-O-R-D, God is actually naming himself. It's kind of wild. So God has a name. Trip out, right? My name is Jeff. Title, chef. No, title, (laughs) title pastor. But I don't like using that a lot. But because my name is Jeff, why is my name better than my title? Because you know me more when you know my name, right? My title is just my title. So God gives us a name, Yahweh. What does Yahweh translate to? Kind of weird. I am. I am. Yahweh, I am. And he says it twice. I am. I am. What does that mean? I am, and sometimes you see God say, I am that I am. What that means is, I am truly am when all these other false gods are not. Here's the Jeff translation. I'm the real freaking deal, baby. (laughs) That's what that means. I'm the real deal. All of these other things, all of these other gods that you would put your trust in, I am. I am real. I am the one true God. So oftentimes you'll hear God say, I am that I am. It's I was and I will always be. So what he is saying, and keep in context, what's happening in the story? The Israelites, who God just performed miracles for and rescued, are worshiping a false calf down the mountain. Man, if I was God, you wouldn't want me to God because I would be mad. And what does God say? I am gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. But... What happens? The guilty cannot go unpunished. And I know that that is hard for us to hear, but inherently, even if you're not a Christian, you still know this. Why? Because we know that the consequences is not devoid of love. Okay? Consequences are not devoid of love. And we know that consequences do not just stay with us. They have ripple effects. So my little two-year-old... He's got this Captain America shield right now, and he, like, thinks he's Captain America. I'm like, dude, stop throwing the shield at your mom's face. Like, stop hitting your mom and, you know, pretending like you're Captain America. Stop, stop, stop. So he got put in his room, you know, and, of course, he cries or whatever. But I do that because I love him, right? I do that because I love him, okay? So I cannot devoid him of pain, and, and say that I love him. I want him to learn that lesson. Here's a further example, because we may trip up on this part of like, whoa, whoa, that's going to translate to the third and the fourth generations or whatever. That's, can you guys put that verse back up on the screen? That seems like, that seems really, really harsh. Like the third and fourth generations, they have to pay for that? Well, let me put it this way. Uh, my, my tiny little five-foot-one Filipino grandma, uh, she is alive and wonderful and spunky 
And so she now has a great-grandchild, Judah Banks, my two-year-old. If Grandma Bella decides to go out and do something awful, like kill somebody, will that not affect me? Yes. Will that not affect my dad? Yes. Will that affect Judah? Yes. Absolutely. So we already know that the consequences that we have in our own lives do not simply stay with us. There's a ripple effect. But what is God in the midst of all of that? Oh, baby, he is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. And he keeps his loving kindness for thousands and forgives inequities. So even in the midst of all that, even while after I delivered you, Israel, and I showed you miracle after miracle, and I parted the Red Seas, and you saw it, and you've already turned your back on me. I'm still that. I'm still that. I'm still that. And by the way, I have a name. I'm personable. You can know me. It's I am the real deal, but that's who I am. So we see how God has compassion. So let's continue to move through the Bible. So if you, you want to know and have more of an understanding of what God is like, I vote for looking at Jesus because Jesus is fully God, fully man. And I love that we're doing this series coming up. But Jesus was the example of God lived here on earth. So you want to know what God is like? Look at how Jesus acted and how he behaved and how he lived his life. So we're going to turn to the New Testament. There's four accounts of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And by the way, if you're like, well, I don't really have an understanding of God. Here's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John in my Bible. It's about, it's about that thick, right? So I would say pick up one of these accounts and simply just start reading it and Here's, like, here's Matthew. Here's the first account right there. Get to know Jesus, you guys. Read this. Just read that. Get to know him. Know what made him mad. Know what made him sad. Know why he had compassion. It'll tell you. Know what he loved. Know what broke his heart. Get an understanding of what God is like through the lens of Jesus. You know, God didn't just send Jesus here on this earth to come and die for your sins and say, hey, you're forgiven, he actually had him live here so he can be an example of what it's like to live a godly life. So that's why we're doing this next series, you guys. It's not just about the fact that Jesus died for your sins. Hallelujah for that. It's that he also lived too, and he gave us an example. And so we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks unpacking Jesus, uh, but the, the writer Paul, who wrote a big chunk of the New Testament, sums it up here. This is in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. But, but he, Jesus, emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and, and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death and death upon a cross. See, the God of the universe, you guys, who is loving, kind, he went through great lengths to not just tell you that, but to prove it by sending his son to die upon a cross, becoming a servant for you. You want to know what God is like? There it is. There it is. We can impact a lot more things, but we don't have the time, but there it is. 
And what does this have to do with talking with God? Because you may be wondering, <laughs> that's nice that God did that. But what does that mean, and how do I talk to him after I just lost my job? After a friend of mine just suddenly passed away? Or my kid is making awful decisions, and I don't know if they're going to return? Or this depression is looming over me, and this sadness is consuming me? How do I talk to you? Thanks for doing that, but I still feel like I can't talk to you. Still feels like you're far off. What do I do about that? How do I answer that question? Good thing God has given us his word. Let's turn to the Psalms. So the Psalms, uh, if you have a Bible, if you slice it like right in half, you're going to land right in the Psalms. The Psalms, number one, the Psalms are what they sound like. They are uh, Psalms and, or songs. And number two, uh, something really important to know about the Psalms is that they're actually a reflection or a mirror of the human condition. So it's basically a way that I can see myself in my relationship with God. So if you ever decide to have a quiet time in the morning, I encourage you to read whatever scripture you want to read out of the New Testament, Old Testament, whatever devotional you're reading, and read one psalm a day, and you'll find yourself in the psalms. And so the reason why the psalms are important in that they serve as this reflection of the human condition is that we know that the human condition is all sorts of weirdness and dynamics, Right? It's not all happy and joy and this and that and flowers and whatever, but like there are times of uncertainty and doubt and sadness and fear and all that sort of stuff, and that's actually reflected in the Psalms. And so what do the writers of the Psalms have to say in those seasons of life? Glad you asked. So there's three types of Psalms. Let's go ahead and put this up on the screen. This is a little theological, but you guys are smart, so you'll get it. So Psalms of orientation, so those are praise and celebration. Psalms of reorientation, that is like a turning from or a rescue or a coming out of. Does that make sense so far? Great. And then Psalms of disorientation. Psalms of disorientation are usually lament, despair. What you would also see is just complaining. This made it in the Bible, everybody. This is said to be the prayer and worship manual. <laughs> How would that be for like a worship service? Hey, Josh, can you just do all like sad songs this morning? <laughs> so Psalms of orientation. I'm just going to read these quick. They're not on the screen, but literally there's so many of them. Psalm 8. Just listen to the tone of what I read. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm 16. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure in you, O God. Psalm 33. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Psalm 104, Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor, majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light with his garment, and he stretches out the heavens like a tent. Psalm 145, great is the Lord and most worthy to be praised. His greatness no one can fathom. Those are psalms of orientation, joy, celebration, praise. Psalms of, actually, I don't want to read the disorientation ones yet. We'll get to that one at the end. Psalms of reorientation, rescue. Psalm 30, Lord my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. Psalm 138, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. Psalm 65, 
You who answer prayer to all you people will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Psalm 116, the cords of death entangled me. That's a Great chorus, man. Let's write that chorus. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called out to the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. Psalms of reorientation. Psalms of disorientation. You ready for this? This is in the worship manual, everybody. Psalms of disorientation. Psalm, oh, I'll read that one last. That's a good one. That's really dark. Psalm 109, may, oh, I'll read that one later. Psalm 13, how long, Lord? I'm not like looking at these. I'm like, wow, these are really good. I'll save that one for later. Psalm 13, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? Oof. How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? Psalm 74, oh God, why have you rejected us forever? Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pastor? Pastor, excuse me. Psalm 109, this is a prayer that David was offering up against his enemies. This is a prayer. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Oof. May his children be wandering beggars. I want to pause for a second before I read the other psalm. I struggled with a long time with hearing these sort of prayers in the Bible. And here's why. Because I thought, how could, how could somebody actually pray like that? And God bless it and anoint it. And I had somebody much wiser than me say, Jeff, the thing you have to understand is pray, uh, hate prayed is hate released. And God wants to hear all that. And until you have experienced, this, these were his words, until you have experienced rape, betrayal, or murder, you will have no idea what it's like to actually pray those prayers. So they will only be jarring to you. doesn't mean God's going to answer those prayers. It means you have permission to say those things to him. Psalm 88. This one's rough. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths, but I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? You have taken me from friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. See, you guys, the Psalms tell us that we have permission to come to God, Yahweh, as we are. Gives you permission. And it's not in my notes, and I, I get a little fired up about this because I think sometimes Christians, um, me being one of them, and I will raise my hand to be the, the first guilty Christian here, Christians and the church project this sort of feeling upon people that you have to have your act cleaned up and your ish together before you come to God. And I've talked to so many unchurched people, non-Christians, that, oh, I can't talk to God. If you knew my story, I, 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 
have to get these other things figured out before I can step foot into a church. Oof. That's not God's heart. He's gracious and compassionate, and he wants to hear you, even if all you have to say is darkness is my closest friend. Because guess what, you guys? The God of the universe, who is Lord, Master, Creator, who really is God, I'm sure he's big enough to handle your words. I'm sure he's big enough to handle your complaints, to handle your cursing or swearing if that's what needs to happen. He's a pretty big boy. He can handle you. And so this idea, you guys, that we have to have everything figured out before we step through these doors or before you start conversing with God, that's just not it. It's not, we, not what we see in the scriptures. We see complaining. We see a lot of praise and celebration. We see rescue and deliverance, but we also see genuine anger and complaining. You know, um, I know that this is true because look at this, Hebrews says this. Therefore, since we have a high priest that's referring to Jesus who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. Underline that word, empathize. That's so good. But we have one who has been tempted in, in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And then this whole verse, verse 16, is so money. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Come on. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Confidence, everybody. So wherever you're at, Bring it. Bring it confidently. You have permission, especially here at this church. We're a perfect place for imperfect people. I love that. I mean, I was joking about that prior, but I really, I really, really mean that. You know? I remember the very first time I actually had a, like, um, uh, a vulnerable and meaningful conversation with my dad. Uh, I didn't grow up under my dad's roof. I didn't get to know him until I was older in life. But I, I remember the very first time, I think I was probably 18, 19 years old, where we had our first conversation where I actually kind of got to some deep levels of things I was struggling with. And the reason why I was able to go there is because for the first time, I understood that he had been there too. It's not that he had all the answers. But before I shared anything, he shared. He said, you know, Jeff, when I was X years old, I've gone through da-da-da-da-da. And by having that understanding of him, that understanding that part of his story, I was then able to step out and say, yeah, God, will, or God, Dad, he would like that. Yeah, Dad. Yeah, Dad. Here are some things I'm going through. And I was able to talk to him authentically for the very first time in my life. This is why God wants you to have an understanding of him so you can actually converse with him. Because if you don't have any sense of understanding the fact that he's gracious and compassionate, you may have a very hard time having a real conversation with him. And that's the call for us today, everybody. Number one, have that understanding of him. And um, here's my last point. 
Uh, you can write this down. I'll repeat it a few times. I don't have it on the screen because I came up with it late last night. But your view or your understanding of God determines how you talk to God. That sums everything up. Your view or your understanding of God determines how you talk to God. And then how you talk to God grows your relationship with him. So it's a two-parter. Your view and your understanding of God influences how you talk to God. Part two, when you talk to God, it grows your relationship. Just like when you talk to your friends or your spouse. It grows your relationship when you communicate. So ask yourself, what do I believe about God? And do I live like it's true? By the way, that part of living like it's true, that's what faith is. Belief is nice. Faith is way better. Because faith puts belief into action. Faith is acting upon the belief. So you can say, I believe that God is gracious and compassionate. But if you never actually take the step to talk to him as if he is gracious and compassionate, that belief, why am I doing that? That belief is good for nothing. Faith is what you want. Because you want to be able to step out and actually do. And guys, don't we want to be a church that is known for doing things, not just sitting around and like thinking things? Come on. So here's my big charge for you today. Very simple, very simple application. Talk to God, hold nothing back. Talk authentically to God and hold nothing back. It's big enough. Don't worry. Don't worry about him. Talk to God. Hold nothing back. And you can't, I'm telling you, and if your perception of him isn't that he's loving, it's going to be hard to do that. And I, I do want to pause and just say, if that is something that is tripping you up, I have empathy and compassion for you because I know that life throws us all sorts of curveballs that makes us wonder, man, is God really good? But also that's why we see in the Psalms, like, they wrestled with that too. And they were still able to come to God. So the good news is that God wants you to get to know him. He wants, he wants you to know him. The God of the universe wants you to know him. He, 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 and just know this, he already knows you. <laughs> he already knows you. He created you. He wants you to know him, truly. Truly.